All right, good morning, church. How are you doing? How are we feeling today? We got lots of energy. You got an extra hour of sleep today. Is everybody good? Am I echoing out there a little bit? Does the uh, choir have umbrellas below me? Because I got them wet last time we did baptism. But I, won't, I promise I won't do that today. I'm not promising anything, actually. So, Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to worship here at Central. We're so glad that you've chose to join us today. And listen, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here today. We're starting the service, of course, with a baptism. And so um, we're excited to be able to baptize two today. We're, um, I'm going to introduce them to you in a moment. Uh, but listen, this morning, you know, when we talk about baptism, one of the things that we do as a local church, we're commanded to baptize on a regular basis by Jesus Christ himself. So this is what we do. This is what we're called to be about. And that is making disciples of all peoples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, there's nothing special about this water. I remind people of that. I tell our baptism candidates that when we meet with them. Um, this isn't washing away their sins. There's nothing special or supernatural about the water, but what it is, is a picture, a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for our sins. And when he was buried, he was buried, but we rose from the, from the dead three days later with new life. And we celebrate that new life here this morning. So what Jesus Christ did on the cross and from the grave has already taken place in the hearts and the minds of these that are coming to be baptized. But you know what? God says, listen, I want you to go public with that decision. And the way in which we go public is through believer's baptism. So I'm excited to celebrate. We're going to celebrate this morning, too, that are going to be baptized today. First up is Ryder. So come on down, Ryder. He's coming today. He's given his life to Jesus Christ a while back. And uh, you might recognize him. He's been part of our... I'll tell you what, step up on this little guy right here so they can see you. How about that? Just step up on there. There you go. Wave to the crowd out there. You can't see them. It's all dark out there, but they're out there, I promise you. But um, uh, Ryder gave his life to Jesus Christ a while back, and um, he's been part of our children's choir, been part of uh, our children's ministry for some time. And there are several of you out there that have poured into Ryder's life through prayer and through teaching him God's word. And so you celebrate along with his parents this morning as uh, he's being baptized and uh, just declaring to you that he's given his life to Jesus Christ. So Ryder, just one quick question for you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? All right. Well, based on your public profession of faith, then I baptize you today, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. All right. And next up, we have Michaela. Michaela is a teenager in our student ministry. She's given her life to Christ a while back. And take your time there. And she gave her life to Christ a while back. And she's coming today to publicly declare that decision to have uh, not only given her life to Christ, but to share with you uh, that she's going public today with that decision. And so, Michaela, um, I just have one quick question for you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? All right, well, based on your public profession of faith, I baptize you today, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah, all right. All 
All right, church, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to continue to stand and worship the Lord through music. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace. What a picture of your grace and mercy this morning. You are a God who forgives, a God who redeems, a God who restores us. Lord, no matter what age we are, when we make that decision to follow you, Lord, you do a miraculous thing in our hearts and in our minds. So God, I pray for those this morning that have not trusted you as Savior and Lord yet, that today would be the day that based on this testimony of these that have come, that Lord, they would make the decision to give their life to you, Jesus, today. Father, put your hand of favor upon us. We need your Holy Spirit to stir our hearts today, Lord. Bless our time of worship as we spend time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to sing.
Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. Move your spirit, heaven break out. Oh, come now in power. Oh, cover this land like you've done it before. Would you do it again? Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. Move your spirit, heaven break out. Come now in power. Cover this land like you've done it sing and pray for revival God I pray that that is a genuine desire of our hearts God that we would want to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven God let us be your tool let this church be your instrument to bring that revival to Livingston to Polk County God to the state of Texas to the United States and further to the world God let us be obedient to your calling God, let us live holy lives that are set apart from the world. God, we know that only you satisfy. So, Lord, I pray that that revival would start in the hearts of everyone in this room. God, grant us these, Lord, so we can be your instrument and see you glorified as only you deserve to be. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We do pray for revival. Let me read for us uh, Psalms, one of the Psalms in Psalm 85, and just the first few verses, and then we're going to pray. Um, it says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You measured the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sin. You withdrew all of your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. And put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you 
provoking your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. You know, let's pray this morning for revival for our church. Um, But this morning we're praying specifically on this Sunday for also the persecuted church around the world. Uh, There are millions of Christians who are in harm's way around the world. And I want to take us, I want us to take a Sunday just during our prayer time to pray for them. And so in your bulletins this morning, I've put two prayer guides for you. One is for the Middle East. We want to pray for peace in the Middle East. You've got a guide to do that this week. But also, um, there is also a little prayer guide that looks just like this. And you pull it out. We want to pray this week, and in particular this day, for the persecuted church. So we want to lift up And pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering around the world. There are some 360 million Christians that are in harm's way that we know of. um, That are in very hostile communities, hostile countries, hostile places. Um, Heard about one or two of those this week. Um, Individuals. And so we want to spend time praying for the persecuted church as well this morning. So why don't you join me in prayer. And if you want to come forward, you can. You can come and sit here. If you can't physically kneel, maybe sit here at the front. But just as a a way to posture ourselves before God, let's just pray for God, not only to bring revival into our church, um, but also for God's mercy on the persecuted church around the world. Let's pray together. Lord, as we thank you this morning for the gift of a picture of baptism, the picture of your death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus. We also thank you for your presence that's here with us this morning. We thank you that, Lord, even though we cannot see you, we know you. Even though we cannot hear your voice, we see your word in front of us. We sense and know that your presence is real in our life because for those of us in this room who have given our lives to you, your Holy Spirit lives in us. God, you have come and you've dwelt inside of us, but Lord, you also come and dwell among your people when we gather. The word promises that. We believe that. We affirm that with conviction this morning, so we thank you for your presence here today, and you are a holy God. There is no sin in you. There is no brokenness in you. We see around the world the chaos and the confusion and the pain and the suffering, the lack of answers to many of life's questions. We know you to be a God who is in control, a God who holds it all together. For your Lord, if you didn't hold it all together, there would be further chaos. We wouldn't even be here. But Lord, somehow, some way, you're at work. We believe that and we know that. Most importantly, Lord, you're at work in us. You're at work here in this room with us this morning. We also know, Lord, there is also spiritual warfare taking place in this room this morning. For, Lord, your word specifies that, points that out. That, Lord, even when we step out in faith and do the things you've called us to do, Lord, we know that we face an enemy not only of our flesh and the world, but also Satan himself, Lord, that tempts us, that attacks us, that works against us. For, Lord, anything that glorifies you, anything that is worthy of praising Any institution, Lord, whether it's our family, our marriage, or our church, 
The Lord brings glory to your name. Lord is under attack at all times, at all moments. And yet, we thank you, Lord, that we are not thrown to the wolves, so to speak, Lord, but we are met with a God who has given us all spiritual blessings. You've provided everything for us. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, you've given us the belt of truth. You've given us, Lord, as we think of the spiritual armor that we read about in Ephesians 6, we know and understand that you've given us all of these things, the gospel of peace. You've given us the helmet of salvation. We can know that we are followers of yours. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings you've given to us. Father, we pray this morning for revival. We know that the pathway to revival doesn't begin with us just praying for revival. It begins with us being honest with ourselves and honest with you. And so, Lord, in our own hearts and minds, God, where you have seen into our life, where we have offended you, where we've dishonored you with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts, well, we want to confess that to you today and repent of it. Lord, we know that the pathway to revival comes by way of holy people, People that have cried out to you and been honest, Lord, about sin and honest about our lives. So, Lord, this morning, we ask for you to deal with the pride in our hearts. We repent of it this morning, God. We need you to step into our life and give us clean hands and a pure heart today. Because we've, dis- we've disappointed you this week, time and time again. But, Lord, we are not met with a God who condemns us, but a God who forgives us. And we thank you this morning that you do forgive. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us today. Fill our minds, fill our hearts. Lord, fill us with your word. We need your word. For we, Lord, we live in a cesspool of untruth in this culture and around the world. Lord, if we left to, Lord, us trying to figure out life, we cannot figure life out. We cannot figure out marriage. We cannot figure out why these bad things happen to us. We can't understand suffering. We can't fully understand the evil of the world. Lord, we need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, your word to continue to point us back to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and to run this race that you've set before us. And so, Lord, would you move in our hearts this morning in that way, bring revival in that way. Turn our hearts toward the things above, not the things on earth. Turn our hearts to the things in your word that, Lord, we see that you value and that you love. And let us turn away from the things that you don't value and that you hate. God, we want to be people that are right with you. We pray as well, Lord, for the persecuted church around the world. For, Lord, they are under so much strain around the world. Millions upon millions of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, of your son, Lord, around the world are right now as we pray in harm's way. Some are facing death. Some are facing being marginalized in their own communities or in their own family. Losing jobs, losing statuses in their society, in their culture, their communities, simply for following you, Jesus. And you told us that we would suffer We pray this morning, Father, for boldness, that you would give them spirit-given boldness. Lord, that you would help them in handling so many difficult situations. We pray this morning that you'd strengthen and embolden them, that they would stand true to the name of Jesus, wherever they might be. 
We pray Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 upon their lives, Lord, that they would be strong in you, Lord, and in your strength, that they would put on your armor, the whole armor that you've given to us, Lord, that they would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Lord, we claim Romans 8, 37 through 39 upon their lives. Lord, they are more than conquerors because they have loved you and you have loved them. Lord, neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor anything present or in the future nor any powers or height or depth or anything in creation will ever be able to separate them from your love because of you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd give them boldness to share the gospel wherever they might be. If they're discouraged, encourage them. Send them another brother or sister in Christ to encourage them. Send them a pastor or a ministry leader who can encourage them. Lord, put your hand of favor upon them because we know that, Lord, the enemy always loses. And we know that the gospel is going to continue to expand and grow even in the midst of persecution. So, God, would you do the work that you've called them to do, to live faithful Christian lives wherever they might be, just as you've called us to live that same life here in our community. Lord, we give this time to you, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the time we've had to sing, but Lord, we also thank you for the time we have to look at your word. And God, what we ask you to do is to open our hearts. Lord, would you just lay our hearts bare, that Lord, would you bring us as we pray, and as I pray on my own life, that Lord, you just bring us to the end of ourselves. And Lord, would you put our eyes on the things that matter above, things that matter to you. So open our hearts, open our ears and our eyes, that we would receive it, and that, God, we would, by faith, believe in you fully today and respond in obedience. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word that gives us truth to live our lives by. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. I'm dry now. You know, I, 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 people tell me this past week about the fact that, you know, I, we got an extra hour of sleep this week, so, you know, my response is always, well, I get to preach an extra hour today. So y'all buckle up, because I'm rested. I'm ready to go. I hope you guys are. I hope you guys got your extra hours sleep. My bedtime's 10 o'clock on Saturday night. I went to bed close to 9 o'clock last night. You know, no, 10 o'clock, which was 9 o'clock. Close to it. I couldn't uh, quite get there before 9, but I'm ready to go. So open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at four very familiar verses to those of us in the room that are uh, followers of Jesus Christ. If you've been in a church, you may have come across this passage before. It's a very important passage. This past week, I had a conversation with a very close friend of mine who was actually the best man at our wedding. And uh, he and I went through college together and so forth. And we haven't talked in so long. It's been months since we've spoken. But you know, you have those relationships, those friendships. And when you pick up the phone and you start having a conversation, it's as though you just talked to them yesterday. And that's how it is with this friend of mine. And so we end up talking for a long time just about life and everything else. And he's telling me about his kids and so forth. Well, the thing that he tells me about um, just two days ago when I had this conversation with him is we have this long conversation about life and so forth. But here's the thing about my friend. My friend has been in Washington, D.C. for well over 20 years. He's an attorney, and he's an attorney for a government agency that is right there in D.C., right next to the Capitol building. 
I won't tell you what agency he works for, but he works for one of the agencies there, and he has risen through the ranks in promotion after promotion after promotion. He's worked for uh, a few congressmen who are there in Washington in the House of Representatives. He's done a lot of work in Washington, so he sees behind the curtain. He sees what we see on TV. He hears what the politicians tell us and all of these things. And the thing about it is my, my friend, when we were in college, was so optimistic. His eyes were wide open. He couldn't wait. He wanted to be a senator one time when we were in college. He couldn't wait to be a senator from North Carolina because that's where he's from. And after talking to him yesterday, or two days ago, listening to him talk, his view of Washington was so low. And for the first time, and I told Christina this, for the first time I have not heard him be that honest about Washington. And he told us, he just said, after I talked to him for a long time, he told me, he said, Sonny, Washington is just broke. It's broke. It's broken. Everyone is out for themselves. There, he could list the congressmen and women. He could list the senators in the Senate who actually have real integrity, no matter what the political parties are. He said, these are the ones that actually get it right. They're the ones behind the scenes that not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk. They've genuinely come here to try to fix things in Washington. But this city is broken. He lives in Northern Virginia, and he's seen so many people from Washington, D.C. moving out towards him and towards them. And he's worked for this particular government agency for over 20 years, almost 25 years. We're the same age, and at the same time, he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And so on the same breath that he's talking about Washington in that way, he also then pivots and starts talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, I just... I'm just glad I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because I don't know how you walk through this life without knowing him, without having a personal relationship with him. I don't know how you walk into Washington, D.C. without knowing him as your personal Lord and Savior. Washington's broke. We're not here to talk about Washington. We're here to talk about ourselves. We're here to talk about our church. And we're here to talk about what, it, what God wants us to understand and see from God's word this morning. You know, and back in chapter 1, verse 27, we looked at this a week ago. The verse there, if you have your Bibles, you can open there. And you can see that verse. We looked at this and we unpacked it last Sunday. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm in one spirit, which with one mind, striving side by side, with faith of the gospel. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing, of course, to a church, and he says, listen, there should be and ought to be a harmony in your life between what you say you believe in, the gospel, we believe in Jesus, and in how you live your life. In other words, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Your life, you and I who are broken, we are separated from God, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, then we're set on a course of whether our life is going to continue to progress. I say progress because none of us in this room are perfect, are we? We sin. We're broken people. I can stand on the stage and I can preach to you and I can talk to you about God's word and then I will then fail two days from now or tomorrow in my relationship with God. And I have to get on my knees and I have to repent of that and then I have to move on from that and not dwell on that but just continue to move on from that. Because we're broken people, so what God wants in our life, what Paul's saying in that verse to us, is he says, listen, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. There ought to be a progression in your life that you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, who is the perfect man. Men, in the room, if you want to know, understand how to be the perfect man, and your wives are going, come on, listen, here it is. Live your life like Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's impossible. 
which is why you need him to be your Savior and Lord, to enable you to grow progressively to become more like Jesus, because he is the perfect man. And so he has this this understanding of verse 27, and then he follows that with this call, if you will, in chapter 2, to the church, to unity. Now check this out. Look at your Bibles with me and follow along as I read. Four verses this morning, we're going to unpack them. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, Paul says, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's all intro. Here it is, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he explains what he means by verse 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more insignificant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The context, of course, is to the local church. He's writing to a group of people, the church of Philippi, a letter that would have been read not just to an individual, but to a collection of people just like this. Maybe they gathered in a home somewhere, and this letter from Paul arrives in Philippi, and the Christians who are part of the church in Philippi all gather together. Can't wait to hear what Paul has to say to us. Let's all gather together and listen to this letter. That's the context of how when you read a letter like this, when you read the book of Philippians or the book of Ephesians or the book of Colossians or the book of Corinthians, first and second, that's how you need to read it. It's to a church, to a body of people that have committed themselves together. And so what he says here is he's saying them, to them, he's commanding them something that is very significant, something that is life-altering, something that is significant. And why is he bringing this up? Because obviously from a distance, he sees the problem in the church. And so he's addressing it. And he's going to continue to address it. And he does so in a way that only Paul can. He does so in love because he genuinely loves this church, right? Why is it sometimes in church life, and maybe you've been a part of churches I'm raising my hand, where we have seen disunity, where we have seen backbiting, where we have seen that anger, that frustration, that, you know, sometimes we can be in the same rooms with each other but not talk to each other. Ever go to a family reunion where you can be in the same room with each other or at a picnic or a barbecue and, you know, as long as you stay over there and as long as I stay over here, we're good. But if we start to interact with each other, we can't even have a conversation without going... It's a problem in the church, just as it's a problem at your family reunion. We see it happen time and time again. Anybody been a part of a, of a, of a disunified church, fighting church? Yep. Yeah, you could raise all your hands can go up, most of you. The fact of the matter is, why is that the case? Because we're different. We all have different ambitions. We have differences. We have different ways of looking at life, different ways of thinking how the church should be, but ultimately, deep down, we're only thinking about ourselves at times. I'm as guilty of it as as you at times, because we're by nature selfish people. We're by nature people who think about ourselves. We have opinions, and here's the thing, and here's how conflict begins in churches, that I have my opinion and you have your opinion and as long as we can parallel continue to operate in the church, we're okay and we're good with each other. But as soon as those opinions begin to cross over, look out. Conflict occurs. Maybe it's a sharp conversation. Maybe it's a text message to someone else and you start to gossip. Did you, can you believe he said that? Can you believe he did that? And we just go on. 
or we get behind a computer, we're brave behind computers, and we bam, blow up Facebook. Did you hear about Bam. We do all of these kinds of things. It, we're by nature this way. Paul also understood that the church in Philippi was this way as well. In, fa- in fact, guess what? Guess, guess what he does? If you jump over to chapter 4 in your Bibles, look at chapter 4 in your Bibles. Oh, he's buttering up the church in Philippi with his nice sweet letter. But then he gets to chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, and he's still not going to come out full bore against a conflict in the church, but he does address it. And I mean, everybody's there that day, I'm sure, as they're reading this letter and hearing this letter. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These two women in the church. And he says, I want you to agree in the Lord. And everybody's listening to this letter being read by Paul. And all of a sudden, oh, he names names. And the two ladies are probably out there going, oh, my word, he just said our names in that letter. Can you imagine having the only reputation you have? We know nothing about these ladies. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what kind of dress they wore that day. But we do know they didn't get along with each other. He says in verse 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. He loved these two ladies. But he said, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, he loved these two ladies too much not to address it. They just didn't get along with each other. So he says, listen, church, y'all get these two ladies together. Work it out. You see, there's a threat in the church whenever the church doesn't get along. It's ripe for implosion. It's ripe for destruction. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it firsthand in churches. But ultimately, it's not about the people. It's about the gospel. The gospel suffers. The light of Christ is snuffed out in a community. People's lives are not saved because a church can't get along with each other. People's lives don't hear the gospel because we're too busy at each other. Ultimately, God says, he steps into our life and he says, listen, we have in chapter 1 this, all of these promises. We're going to suffer, but he says, listen, be unified. Honor God with your life, right? The greatest weapon that we have against spiritual warfare is unity, oftentimes. When we're a unified church, when we're a church that honors God and when we pursue Him with our lives, God moves in us. Unity is only possible. Let me say this on the front end of this text. We're going to walk through it. Unity is only possible when we replace pride with humility. Unity is only possible when we replace pride with humility. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what God says to us. Because when you make yourself, or make, your, make yourself humbling yourself before God and others a priority in your life, when you do that, when I do that, what happens is this. Listen, everybody listen to me. Don't tune me out. That the supernatural power of God comes upon that church to unify it, and the gospel impacts the lives of others. Bam. That's it. That's what happens. When you make humbling yourself before God and others a priority, oh, God can work with that. Supernatural power of God steps in, unifies a church, gospel expands, church grows. There's incredible, not just numerical growth. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about lives being changed. We're talking about marriages being restored. We're talking about people's lives turning back towards the Lord Jesus Christ with their life. Here's the question, how do you get there? And that's what Paul's talking about here. Not only 
unity being possible when pride's replaced with humility, but then he's going to unpack for the church in Philippi. Listen, church, this is how you grow to become a church that is unified. Well, he goes, and first of all, he talks about the basis of unity, and he says, listen, it's, on, it's based not on you, it's based on the work of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? Don't you love it in the fact that when Jesus Christ, when God comes into your life and he steps into your life and he commands you to do something, he doesn't tell you, hey, you've got to go get some unity. He says, first and foremost, you need to focus on me because I'm the basis of your unity, which is what Paul's doing here. He loves this church. God loves us. He loves every one of our congregations on this planet, no matter what season of life, whatever generation we're a part of. But he says, listen, the basis of unity is not you. The basis of unity is the work of Christ. Remember that. Verse 1, look at it with me again. So if, if there are any encouragement in Christ, of course there is an encouragement of Christ. If there is any comfort from love, of course there is comfort from love. Any participation in spirit or affection or sympathy, of course those things exist. Then he's going to get to the command. But it's all based on the work of Christ. So Paul knew what these people in Philippi had in common. They had been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, they had differences. They had different ways of looking at life and different ways of thinking, but they were all followers of Jesus Christ that were a part of this church. They had become to a, get, gone to a place where Jesus was now their Lord, where Jesus was now their Savior. That's what united them. That's who they were. And there were these supernatural realities a part, about, a part of the church. There were these certainties that they had experienced, all already had experienced. In fact, this is past tense. Remember in verse 1? If there is any encouragement in Christ, it's already happened. That exists. That is there. What is encouragement in Christ? Let's unpack these four very quickly. And then maybe your translation says comfort or consolation of Christ. Meaning, what Christ has done is he, God comes alongside you. This is what the encouragement of Christ is. He comes alongside us. And how does he come alongside us? By way of his who? Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26 says this. Jesus promised this when he was leaving. He says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Think about that verse. This is the encouragement we have in Christ. Why? Because we are in Christ. What the Spirit of God does in our life on a regular basis is he reminds us of who we truly are who we are apart from him, and who we are with him. That's that encouragement we have in Christ. There's comfort in love. Look at verse 1. Any comfort from love. For every one of us, Paul understood this in the church, that for every believer, God does not condemn you. He doesn't step into your life and condemn you. He loves you. He encourages you, he affirms you, he corrects you, but he will affirm you. He will not affirm sin in your life. He does not affirm sin in our communities, in our culture, and, or in your life. He will not say, boy, keep going, that's okay. No, he still corrects you, but he does so in love. Listen, you, need, you and I need to understand the importance of that this morning. When God comes into your life, he doesn't say, get your act together. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, get yourself up. That's not God. Maybe that's your dad. Maybe that's your mom. That's not God. He lovingly steps into your life and corrects you. Whenever you see the pictures and you read about what Jesus Christ, whenever Jesus would step into the presence of the disciples, it's like they melted because they were in the presence of a holy God. He was perfect in every way. 
Oh, when Peter denies Christ three times, there is that story when Peter denies Christ and Jesus is being whipped and beaten because he's arrested. There is that moment in which the, 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 the rooster crows and Peter is so overwhelmed with grief because of his sin and because of his denial of even knowing Jesus Christ there in the Gospels. And it tells us in the scriptures that Jesus makes eye contact with Peter from a distance. And Peter just melts. Right? Not because Jesus has condemned him, because his own sin has condemned him, but Jesus moves in. Remember John, the end of the book of John and the gospel of John, how Jesus restores Peter. Oh, the Lord loves us. He doesn't accuse you of being dirty. He tenderly speaks truth into your life, and the truth is what corrects you, right? If there is any comfort in love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, look at your Bibles. Paul says if there's any participation in the Spirit, was he talking about the Holy Spirit of God? Meaning if there is any partnership or fellowship that is there, we live, we have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that unites us as followers of Jesus Christ. If I'm a follower in this room of Jesus, he unites me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 says this, For just as the body is one, and as many members, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's talking about the church here. He's saying, For in one spirit, Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks or slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one Holy Spirit. Spirit of God's you what unites us. Black, white, young, old, uh, you name it. Rich, poor. Follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God moves in and unites you as one, as part of the Spirit of God, part of the body of Christ. The Spirit of God is what unites us, right? If there's any participation in the Spirit, how about affection and sympathy or affection and mercy? Look at verse one. He says, if any, if this, this exists in your life, which it does, listen, I gotta tell you, if God dealt with me for what I have done towards him in my life, I would not be on the stage. I would not be in this room. I probably would not be alive. If God dealt with us based off of who we were solely alone, we would not have what we have. We could not claim the, the, the treasures of Christ. We could not claim the treasures of God's word. But oftentimes, how are we tempted to deal with people who harm us? deal with people in that way. We do the opposite, right? Somebody harms you, what are we tempted to do? Anger, gossip. We want to get back at them. We don't see that in Jesus Christ, but that's what, but, but, but we see it in our own lives at times. God extends this, this deep and affection and deep mercy towards me. Paul's heart had changed towards even the Philippians because Paul's heart had changed. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 8, he even says this. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. But before that, he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He had experienced this affection and this mercy from Christ. And he longed for that, that type of affection he had towards his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. There was a love that extended towards him. And, and these four spiritual realities here in verse 1, that if these things exist, Paul reminds them of these things do exist. 
And it's all important in part in light of what happens in chapter 1, which he's already said about. He said this, and there will be conflict, there will be suffering. But the basis of your unity, church, in Philippi, is in, in the basis of, of our unity at Central, and who we, God wants us to become and continue to become, is not based on what we need to do specifically, but on what Jesus Christ has done first in our life. And it's that work that binds us and it binds believers like a rope that is twisted together that continues to get stronger and stronger the more strands that are tied together. Isn't that incredible? God does this incredible work in our life. Which is why, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, these things don't apply to you yet. God loves you. He cares for you. He deeply cares for your life, but he wants for your life to experience what Paul had experienced. He wants your life to experience what those two in that baptism water this morning have already experienced. He wants your life to experience what I've experienced and many in this room have experienced, that you would experience the love of Christ, that you would experience this affection and sympathy and mercy and forgiveness. God wants a personal relationship with you, but it requires you stepping away from yourself, turning away from yourself and believing in Jesus Christ. And not just believing, but allowing him to rule and control your life. And when you do that, when you turn away from sin and when you agree with God for who he is and you step across that line and you say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my life and heart, he begins to change you from the inside out because the spirit of God, God himself comes into your soul, he comes into your life and he begins to transform you into a different person. It gives you different aspirations, different goals. The affections of your heart turn away from this world that is so temporary, turns away from yourself, and turns away something to, towards something that is eternal. That's what God wants. But the basis of unity is always the work of Christ. The basis of unity is the work of Christ, but listen, then we're called to obey and have this kind of mindset, which is where Paul goes next. Look at verse 2. He says, if those things exist, which they do, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. In other words, have the right mindset. I love how the Holman Christian Standard, that's a great version of the Bible, says this verse, and I just wrote it down for myself to remind, to, to show you, and you might have a Holman Christian Standard out there. But this is what it says and how it reads, this verse reads in the Holman Christian. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focused on the same goal. I love that. Very simple, straightforward. Paul had deep friends, had deep friendships with this church. He loved this church. He wanted them to experience joy. He prayed for them from a distance. We saw that in chapter one. He corrected them. He deeply loved them. He cared about them. They were partners in the gospel. That's what he says in chapter one. He describes them that way, but he also knew these people, and he knew they struggled with unity. He knew they struggled not just by showing up and being together, but they, they struggled with being divided. And here's the thing about division. When we are self-centered and we're prideful, there's never going to be unity. When we're only thinking about ourselves and what our differences are, then we're never going to have unity. We're called to have the same or the, same or the right mindset. Look at verse 2 again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and with one mind. What's Paul's point? Have the right mindset. Think about and have this kind of mindset. Live in, and this is another way to say it, live in agreement on the right things. Have an agreement on the things that the Lord wants. 
love each other equally. Be sacrificial in the same way. He's not talking here uniformity. In other words, every one of us, when you look around the room, see differences. We come from different generations. Some of us like contemporary music. Some of us don't like that contemporary music. Some of us really like the old hymns of the faith. Some of us like it in a new way. I'm just talking music right now. Oh, we could go down the road in multiple different ways. Some of us like pews. Some of us like chairs. Some of us like dark rooms. Some of us like don't, don't like dark rooms. Some of us like, you name it, it goes on and on and on and on. Some of us like coffee, some of us don't like coffee. Some of us this and that, this and that, this and that. What God has given us is a uniqueness about our lives. In other words, we celebrate our differences. He's not telling you to conform yourself to a certain mold. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying we're all different. Celebrate it. Laugh about it. Are you and your wife different? Are you and your husband different, those you married couples in the room? He's not saying when you get married that you're supposed to be just like each other. Can you imagine that kind of a marriage? There'd be no fun in it. No, the fact of the matter is there is a union that takes place in a marriage just as there is a union that takes place by way of the Spirit of God in a local church. We celebrate our differences. We just don't take those differences to a place of allowing us to be disagreeable. There's where we cross the line. When we take our differences and we try to force them or we try to say things or we try to do things that go beyond just celebrating our differences to being disagreeable, well, that's where we can never get to verse 2. So what's he saying? God wants us to be knit together, spirit of harmony that exists within us. Here's the result of that. You're going to have, you're gonna, we develop the same desires, the same heart, the same goals, for example, you, those of you who are married out there, you are very, very different in the way that you interact with each other, the things that you like and dislike. But you ought to get to a place where you are having the same goals in your parenting, the same goals as a married couple. Maybe the same goals when you're thinking about retirement or thinking about how we want to spend our money or spend our time or spend our lives together. It's very similar in the local church. We grow to have the same ambitions, the same passions, the same desires, not uniformity. But here's what replaces our own desires, our own passions, our own ambitions. We develop and we embrace the passions and the ambitions and the desires of who? Not the person to my left or to my right, but of God. And I begin to think about what God wants and think about what he wants and how he wants me to live my life. And I begin to pray towards those things. I begin to live towards those things. We are a different people. We always, every church is. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. Listen to this. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit to the, for the what? Common good. Verse 8 says this to round it out. For to one is given the, through the Spirit utterance of wisdom, and to another utterance of knowledge, and, utter, and, and, and according to the same Spirit. And on and on it goes. In other words, we're not called to be conforming to be uniform, but in our differences, we're moving towards the same God, and we're starting to embrace the same things that He wants. If the Lord is passionate about making disciples, then we get excited, really excited about making disciples of all nations. 
If the Lord is really excited about prayer and really wants us to pray and we see it passionately in the scriptures throughout the New Testament, guess what we do? We become passionate about prayer. If the Lord is passionate about us sharing our faith and wanting us to learn how to share our faith and and teach others and share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, guess what we do at Central? We become passionate about those things because that's what brings God the most glory. If he's passionate about knowing what we believe and why we believe it in this very chaotic culture, then we ought to make that a priority of our life and be passionate about it. Oh, we have differences, but we share the same spiritual goals that bring glory to God. And the Spirit of God, or the church is led by the Spirit of God, serves the body because it is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we find out what God desires. We find out that what, what kind of mindset he wants for my life, and I embrace that. I pursue that, and I do that in every ministry, every initiative, every event, every worship service. We make that our goal. We become a gospel-oriented, spirit-led people. Does that sound impossible? Yes, it is. And that's why you need the Spirit of God. That's why you need verse 1. You can't get to verse 2 without verse 1. Paul knew that about the church in Philippi. Paul, God knows that about us. He doesn't call us to just be unified. He says, listen, I've given you all the tools. I've given you everything for you to be unified. Now go be unified. (laughs) In verse 2. And then he unpacks it there in verse 3 and verse 4. Because if he's called us to obey the call to have this right mindset, he then leads us to have the right view, a right view of ourselves and the right view of others. And very quickly, let's unpack this and look at this this morning. What he calls us to is to have the right view of others. He's driving home this point that unity is only possible when I replace pride with humility. And the individual responsibility of my life is to approach each other in this way. Look at verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. By the way, you are supposed to look to your own interests. He doesn't say not to. He says just don't just look to your own interests in verse 4. He says, but also what? To the interests of others. Paul knew that they were not immune to being just like his opponents. You remember Paul has opponents? If you've forgotten, look back in chapter 1, verse 17. Because Paul from prison is writing about the gospel, and he's saying, listen, some out of selfish ambition are capitalizing on this gospel message to build up their own platform with people. So that people will go like this. Wow, look at that guy. I can't believe he's here to preach to us and talk to us. We don't need Paul. We've got this other guy. And what does Paul say? Listen, if they want to share the limelight, that's between them and God. But here's the point. People are being saved because the gospel is clear and it's true. So glory to God. But he knew that they had these selfish, these opponents that Paul had. He knew that there were people from afar who were celebrating that Paul was locked up. Paul said, that doesn't bother me. But to the Philippians, he says here in verse 3 and 4, and he wants them to understand that he understood that they were not immune to being like his opponents. So he drives them home, drives home this point. He wants them to grow to be unified. That meant doing nothing out of selfish ambition or nothing out of rivalry. You know why Washington is broken? Because no matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, collectively as a whole, they're not moving in the same direction. 
You see, it used to be in Washington that Republicans and Democrats could share a meal together. You know, they'd debate on the floor, and then they'd go out and have, have fun together. They were really good friends. No more. And do you know why? Because the political parties ideologically are leading the nation in different places, in different directions. And therefore, it's not about just their casual disagreements about economy or this or that. They ideologically oppose one another. And that's why Washington is broken. Because they don't have the same goal of making America a better place or reaching this or reaching that. Everyone is moving in different directions, not going the same direction. That not, ought to be the case in the church, right? Everyone in Washington, not everyone, many people in Washington advancing their own, there's certain great people in Washington, but advancing their own agenda and, and so forth. And in the church, when we advance our own agendas and our own ministries and we have selfish ambition, it leads us to a place of being empty. No, the pathway to unity is humility. And so in verse three, it has to do with how we view ourselves and others, right? We count others more important than we count ourselves. That's a flip on its head for how we live our lives through Jesus Christ. It's not hard to look out for yourself. It's not hard to think about how you're going to spend your time or spend your money. Because it's yours. But when you take that and you set it aside and you say, and you begin to consider the lives of others or your decision and how it's going to impact the lives of others or your words and your text message or your Facebook post and how it impacts the lives of people that are watching or seeing, that takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes a work of the Spirit moving inside of you. It requires humility to value others more significant than yourself. And so it takes the right mindset, it takes the right heart, and this is the ethic, this is the value that we see throughout all of the New Testament church in our lives. That when we open the Bible and we begin to read the New Testament, this is the ethic that the Bible teaches us. Let me give you just a few verses, I'll read them for you this morning. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Go outdo each other <laughs> this week. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for you were once called, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom, your spiritual freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, submit yourself to one another. Wait, what? Submit yourself to one another. Oh, okay. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the what? Some of you know it. Humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Meaning you're going to mess up with your life, even sometimes when you're prideful and you mess up. But you come back to, you, come back to the Lord and you confess and repent of that pride. He's very gracious with those of you when we in humility come to him and we repent of that sin. You see, your view of yourself and others has a direct impact on whether you and I as a church, we as a church are experiencing unity, whether the gospel's spreading in our community or not. We can go through the motions. We can put together a bunch of events, tie them together. Maybe we can just do the same thing we've been doing for 20 years. Every event, every year, we've been doing the same thing the same way and do it over and over and over again. It might give us some joy. 
But if we're doing it with pride, if we're just doing it just to do it to make ourselves feel good, then, then we've gone off track. No. We come back to the Lord. We pursue him and what he wants. We follow the way of unity. And that's having the right view of ourselves. Embracing the right mindset. Remembering that it began with Christ. Real quick and we're done. I love man movies. Men, you like men movies? One of my favorite movies out there, don't throw rocks at me, is Gladiator. Anybody like Gladiator out there? All right, I'm in the wrong crowd. I love Gladiator, man. I love that. I mean, I watch it a hundred times. There's so much stuff in there. I love manly movies. There is a scene in this movie where Russell Crowe, he's the, he's the uh, actor that's in that movie. And he moves from being a general, Maximus, to being a slave. He moves from being a slave to being a gladiator. And he finds himself in the, in the, in the um, Colosseum there in Rome with a bunch of other gladiators that are there. And what does he say? You remember the, remember the famous line as we've seen the movie a hundred thousand times like me? That'd be fun sitting down and watching it again. The odds are against them. They're outnumbered probably four or five to one. Their purpose there is to die. That's it. But he looks around them and he says, whatever comes out of these gates, he says, we stand a chance if we work together. He says, if we don't work together, we'll die. Man, that's correlation to the church. Because what God wants us to be is a united church, a church that believes the same things, who loves the same God, who's passionate about the same things. That's a church that God puts his hand upon. That's a church that God can work in. That's a church that's growing up in the gospel and becoming more and more mature, no matter how old we are. That's a church that is glorifying God, standing against spiritual warfare in our life. I think every church experiences tough times. Every church I've ever been a part of has experienced tough times. Church conflict and you name it. But not only is it a responsibility for us collectively, but it is a responsibility for us individually. So here's a couple things for you to think about really quick, and we're done. Pray for it. God wants you to pray for it. Pray for our church regularly that we would stand together for the same things, for the right things. We would pray the same direction to the same God, right? That we'd be passionate about the things that God wants to be passionate about. And then remember the work of Christ. Remember what he's done in verse 1. I want you not just to pray for it from a distance, but to remember the work of Christ, to obey the call, to have that right mindset, and then embrace that right view. God's doing a thing here. He's doing a work in our congregation and among our congregation in amazing ways. People are being saved. I believe the Spirit of God is at work among us, and what we want to do is not get out of there, not get in the way of what God wants, but to continue to, to move together towards the Lord, work together, and to pray together. That is the pathway to consistent unity. Because it isn't a matter of whether we just agree on the same things, but are we moving in the same direction? That's what God wants. And that's a, God that, that's a church that God can work within. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. This morning, the front of the stage is going to be open for you to come. If you want to just pray for Central, 
as we move forward together into the future and what God's doing here and continuing to do here and what he's done in the past, then come forward and pray. Just pray for Central. Just continue to pray for it. If you want to be a part of what God is doing and wants to do in the future, you can feel free to come forward and just say, Lord, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. You can stay where you're seated. That's okay as well. If you need prayer over any matter, any issue that you need prayer over, not only will I be here, there will be others who are willing to come up here and pray with you over any matter. Any issue going on in your marriage, any issue going on in your family, as a student, whatever you're dealing with in your life, whether it's loneliness or just struggling with sin in your life, struggling with something in your life, we want to be available to pray and agree with you and agree with the Lord to change and to work and to minister to you. So we're available to do that. But Lord, listen, if you're here this morning and you want to give your life to the Lord, Jesus Christ, I'll be here at the front as well to receive you or be baptized or join our church. What's God saying to you? How has he been speaking into your life? Not only today, but in recent weeks. Obey what God is saying. Say yes to him. Put your yes on the table and say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you send me, whatever you want me to do with my life. What is God saying to you? Answer him with a yes and respond in obedience. Let me pray for us and we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out upon our life. We thank you that, Lord... You are the author of your church, and you are the one that gives it spiritual vitality. You give us a mission, and you lead us into the future. God, would you find us a people that are humble? Would you find us a people that are surrendered? Would you find us a people, Lord, that are obedient to what you want? We know that you can work with that, and you will work with that. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Won't you stand with me? You have the courage to come forward this morning. God's leading you.
You can be seated this morning. You know, as we leave today, we want to be faithful with our tithes and our offerings. So let's be faithful to give this morning. We're going to uh, have, give you an opportunity to give before you leave today. You can drop your offerings and uh, tithes off in the boxes around the doorways. If you filled out a guest information card or a prayer request card, you can drop it in there as well this morning. Um, just a couple very quick announcements before we leave today. Um, Next Sunday, we have our members meeting, the last one of the year, and so it's going to be in the evening, but before that and prior to that at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a potluck dinner, and so we're going to have that right across the street in the family center. Um, that's going to be a fun time of fellowship for us right before we have that meeting at 6 o'clock, so make plans to join us. It'll be a great time, fun time for us to be together um, here right before Thanksgiving and uh, before we get into the Christmas season. Speaking of which, in the Christmas season, we have a couple events I just want, to sa- want you to save the dates for. Wednesday night, December 13th, that's our last Wednesday night of the year. Uh, ministry, and that's going to culminate in a Christmas worship service. It'll be, we have our preschool choir, our children's choir, our adult choir, and our praise team, band. They're all going to be part of that. It's going to be a great time together, and we'll have a little fellowship after that, but that'll be on Wednesday night at six o'clock, all right? And then speaking of which, Christmas Eve, this is just to save the date. Christmas Eve that morning, we'll have one worship service, no Bible study that day. At the end of that service, we'll have our candlelight service. It's Christmas Eve that Sunday, so we'll have our Christmas Eve service that morning. It'll be a normal worship service, but we'll have a candlelight service kind of right at the end of that service. Um, It'll be a special, special morning. So make plans to join us on Christmas Eve if you're here in town, um, and then you can be able to enjoy the rest of your afternoon as you uh, spend time with family members, okay? Last Sunday evening, we had a great time at our fall festival. Thank you so much for those of you who brought candy, who served who prayed for that event from a distance. God moved and he worked. Um, We had several hundred people here last Wednesday or Sunday evening, um, and we have 40 to 50 families to follow up with who indicated they wanted uh, uh, information and and, uh, opportunity for us to follow up with them. So we are going to be following up as a congregation, so I may be calling on you. We need to find some time, and we're going to be following up on these families in our community, and that was the whole purpose of that event. We had a lot of fun together, but now the time to follow up with the families that God has given us and entrusted to us. And so we're going to do that. So be in prayer for that from a distance. Uh, Take part in any kind of opportunities we have to follow up on them. Um, And let's continue to make disciples in our community, okay? So thank you so much for all the work that you did last Sunday night. It was awesome. It was a fun time. The weather held off. It got cold Monday, but it was nice on Sunday afternoon. So it was a good day. So to be together. All right, let's stand. Let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Um, Yep, and then we'll go. Father, we just thank you this morning um, for your time. Um, We thank you for the time we've had to worship you. We pray that we've honored and glorified your name. Um, We pray that, Lord, we've um, pleased you in what we've said and what we've done. Um, We thank you for the time that we've had, and we pray that you'd bless our groups, but also, Lord, bless our afternoon as we continue to do ministry. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Amazing grace. This is the